All right, thank you guys. That was terrific. Well, friends, this morning we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Matthew. And specifically, we're going to be picking up in Matthew chapter 13, where Pastor Rick left off last week. Uh, We're going to be continuing today looking at what are known as the kingdom parables of Jesus Christ. The kingdom parables of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were a Jewish person living in Israel in the first century, the hope inspired by the promised coming kingdom of God was profound. At the time of Jesus' ministry, the people of Israel had lived under the brutal military occupation of the Roman Empire for nearly 70 years. And during this time, many in Israel lived for the Old Testament's promises of a Messiah and a divine kingdom that would come and bring freedom and prosperity and righteousness to Israel and then ultimately to the entire world. People live for promises like the one found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where the prophet Malachi says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. People live for these promises of the coming kingdom of God. And so when Jesus came on the scene with his radical teachings and his miraculous power, which we've seen throughout our series in Matthew, many in Israel began to hope and believe that maybe, just maybe, he was about to usher in this promised kingdom of God, vanquishing their enemies and bringing God's reign to the world. However, here in Matthew 13, Jesus begins to present a radically different message about the kingdom. He provides a vision of the kingdom that is still fully in line with the prophecies of the Old Testament, but Jesus begins to reveal that the kingdom is not going to come in the manner in which many of the Jewish people expected. The Messiah was not going to come as a conquering king who would throw off the yoke of Rome and liberate Israel, establishing Israel as the center of the earth. Not yet, at least. Rather, as Pastor Rick explained last week in the parable of the sower and the soils, the kingdom of heaven would come initially through the spiritual transformation of those who accepted the seed of the gospel message. And now today, we're going to look at the rest of Jesus' parables here in Matthew 13 where he further unveils the present nature and workings of the kingdom of heaven in our world. Friends, the message of these parables, it was a radical message in Jesus' day, and it is still a radical message in our day, a message that has the power to transform lives for those who would receive it. So here's the deal. I want to read Matthew chapter 13 together this morning, verses 24 through 52. And following our reading of these kingdom parables, I want to share with you today four key truths that we can discern about the kingdom of heaven present in our world today through these parables of Jesus Christ. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. 
We're going to start in verse 24. We're going to have it on the screen as well, so you can follow along that way if you like. But uh, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. In the kingdom of, He then said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in a basket, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Woo! Now that's a big chunk of Scripture. And there's a lot for us to unpack here in these parables that we just read. We're actually not going to have time this morning to draw out all of the rich depth 
and truth that is found in all these stories here this morning. But what I do want to make sure that we do is I do want to make sure that we clearly understand the four key truths that Jesus is communicating this morning about the kingdom of heaven. Four key truths are revealed to us here in these parables of the kingdom. And truth number one this morning is this. The kingdom is a place of amazing grace. The kingdom is a place of amazing grace. In verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43, we find the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And in his explanation of this story, Jesus tells us that the wheat stands for the sons of the kingdom. Those who have accepted Jesus' message and who are now present and growing here in the world. But Jesus also reveals that our enemy, the devil, has also planted seeds. And his seeds are weeds. Evil people who have rejected the Lord, who have become entangled with the wheat, living side by side with the sons of the kingdom until the day of judgment. And in verse 24, Jesus says, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Wheat and weeds living side by side. Now, the curious thing about this parable is not that the devil has sown weeds or evil into the world. That would be expected of him. Rather, the real question in this parable is why does God tolerate the weeds? Why does God allow evil people to live side by side with the wheat, the people of his kingdom? You know, have you ever wondered that? If Jesus has defeated the devil on the cross, if the gospel has been established through the planting of the seed of the message of the gospel, why does God still allow evil to have a presence in our world? Have you ever wondered that? I think it's a pretty common question. In fact, my two kids, Caleb and Addie, six and four, asked me this very question just recently. They said to me, Daddy, why doesn't Jesus just get rid of all the naughty guys? Don't you love trying to explain theology to kids? You know, it's a great question, though. Why doesn't Jesus just get rid of all the naughty guys? Why does Jesus say that God will allow the weeds to remain among the wheat until the time of the harvest judgment? Well, friends, the answer is found in the amazing grace of God. The amazing grace of God. You see, friends, in farming... Weeds don't produce grain. But when it comes to the gospel, even weeds can ultimately bear fruit. With the grace of God, what looks like a weed one day may on another become fruitful crop. It all depends on a person's choice to either receive or reject the message of the gospel. And in the kingdom, because of His grace, God has given people time to choose. As 2 Peter 3.9 states, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, friends, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The point of this parable is that God in His amazing grace and love for us, 
has delayed his judgment. He has allowed the weeds to grow side by side with the wheat so that as many as possible might ultimately turn to him and bear the fruit of salvation. But please understand this, my friends. This age of grace is going to come to an end. As Jesus declares in verses 41 and 42, there will be a day of judgment when the weeds will be removed from the kingdom forever. God is a gracious God, but He is also a just and holy God. And He will not allow evil to go unpunished forever. There's a day of judgment coming. But for now, God has extended His grace to us in the hope that all of us, all of us might receive the good news of the gospel. The good news found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, the kingdom is a place of amazing grace, but each of us must choose to embrace it. Have you? Have you? If not, I pray you will. Maybe even here this morning. Truth number two from our parables this morning is this. The kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is advancing. Not only is God's kingdom a place of amazing grace, but God's kingdom is on the move. God's kingdom is on the move. In verses 31 through 33, Jesus uses two metaphors to describe the advance of the present kingdom of heaven in our world. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and yeast. Now again, contrary to the expectations of the Jews of Jesus' day, who were waiting for a messianic king who would advance God's reign through power and authority, Jesus uses these two metaphors to reveal to us that the kingdom of heaven is going to start as something small and seemingly insignificant, but then grow to be very large. The mustard seed that Jesus refers to was the smallest seed known in that culture. And yet, it was not uncommon for mustard plants in Israel to grow to be 10 or even 15 feet tall. And as the mustard plant grew, its branches would become firm and birds would even come and build nests within their branches. And Jesus is saying that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It would start out small and ultimately grow to be a place where many would find shelter. And friends, this is exactly what we've seen through the growth of the church throughout history. Jesus started with a small following. In fact, in Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we read that there were only 120 believers present at Jesus' ascension into heaven. Friends, that would even be considered a large church today. And yet, by the end of the Apostle Paul's life, only 40 years later, the gospel had been taken to the end of the known world. And it would ultimately become the foundation upon which all of Western civilization would be built. And today, friends, this gospel continues to advance, transforming lives all around the world. 
I wish I could spend all day sharing stories of the amazing transformation that is taking place all around the world as people accept the seeds of the gospel. For example, consider the nation of China. Do you know, friends, that after the communist revolution in the 1950s, when Mao Zedong murdered upwards of 70 million of his own people, do you know that it was estimated that there were only a few thousand Christians left in all of China? Friends, do you want to know something remarkable? Do you know that today, the official estimates of the Chinese government, the official estimates of the Chinese government today place the number of Christians in China at over 200 million. 200 million Christians in China today. That's the estimates of the communist government. Friends, God's kingdom is still alive and on the move. And that's just one example of the amazing and miraculous power of the kingdom. The kingdom that's advancing around the world. Now friends, while the parable of the mustard seed focuses on the outward and visible expansion of the kingdom, the parable of the yeast reveals the inner spiritual nature of the kingdom's transforming power. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast worked through the dough. It starts out small and then expands inwardly and ultimately affects all that is around it. Friends, I think it's important for us to remember today that this is how the kingdom of heaven works. When we accept the seed of the gospel message, God begins a process of inner transformation in our lives. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Then in Galatians chapter 5, Paul further explains the inner transformation that takes place in the lives of the believer as the believer becomes increasingly marked by the fruit of the Spirit that lives within us. And then in Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, Paul reminds us of our calling to live as children of the light in a world shrouded in darkness, the darkness of sin and evil, so that we might point others to the hope of the transforming power that's available in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is how the kingdom of heaven grows and advances, through the inner transformation of the power of the gospel in our lives. And you know, friends, there have been times throughout the history of the church when we've forgotten the true spiritual nature of the kingdom's advance. Like the Jews of Jesus' day who were looking for an outward kingdom, a kingdom that would advance in power by human standards. The temptation of many believers has often been to seek the advance of God's kingdom through military or political might. Even in our present day, many Christians on both the political right and the left make this same mistake. And friends, while there's nothing wrong with Christians engaging in politics, we must never forget that ultimately, true societal transformation begins when people turn their hearts to the Lord. Our hope, friends, is not in politics. But our hope is in the transforming power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of people. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Truth number three that we find revealed in these parables today is this. The kingdom 
is of ultimate worth. The kingdom is of ultimate worth. In verses 44 through 45, Jesus shares the stories of the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great value. These are the parables we saw depicted this morning in a fun way through that drama of the Batman fanatic. The treasure hidden in the field and the parable of great price. The traditional interpretation of these parables has been that when a person discovers the message of the gospel, whether by chance or through a diligent search for the truth, he or she should be so overjoyed that they would be willing to give everything to embrace the gospel, to obtain salvation, and to participate in the life of the kingdom. And friends, while I think there's truth in this interpretation, there's another way of reading these parables that I believe gives us an even greater appreciation for the kingdom of heaven. Other interpreters have pointed out that You know, we could never buy the kingdom. We can't buy the kingdom. Rather, in these parables, like with the other parables in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is the main character. And it is Jesus who sees treasure hidden in his people. And so he, Jesus, gives everything he has to purchase the prize. A relationship with you and me. Isn't that cool? Romans, 5, chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 declares, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10 affirms, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, Jesus considered you to be of ultimate worth. He saw you as so special, so valuable, so worth his time and while, that he was willing to give his all to purchase our salvation so that we might have a relationship with him. That's the value Christ put on us. Now here's the deal, friends. When you understand this, when you come to recognize the price that Christ has paid for you, now the kingdom truly does begin to have ultimate value to you because you begin to understand your ultimate value to the king. Jesus Christ gave his all for you and for me. And when we recognize this, friends, this changes everything. It changes everything. It changes our priorities where we devote our time, how we invest our money, what we live for. It changes everything. I remember the first time I came to fully understand the impact of what Christ had done for me and how a proper appreciation of our salvation should radically refocus all of our priorities in life. It was as a young boy when my father gave me a book titled Through Gates of Splendor. It's a story of five American missionaries who moved with their families to the jungles of Ecuador in the early 1950s, choosing to leave the comforts of home behind, all for the sake of reaching a tribe of headhunters who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, tragedy struck, and on January 8, 1956, 
the very people they were trying to reach with the good news of the gospel, speared to death these five young American missionaries who were only in their late 20s and early 30s. All of them had wives. Most of them had children. Upon hearing the news of their deaths, many people back in America called these men fools for what they had done. However, later that same year, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, one of the martyred missionaries, she released excerpts from her husband's journal in her book titled Through Gates of Splendor. Shortly before their departure to Ecuador, Jim Elliot penned these words in the pages of his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot and those four other missionaries and their families understood the ultimate worth of the kingdom because they understood our ultimate worth to the king. And so they were willing to give everything for the sake of the gospel. Friends, just so you know the rest of the story, the sacrifice of those men was not in vain. In the coming years, that entire tribe of headhunters would eventually place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord through the influence of those martyred missionaries' families who remained living among those people. Furthermore, many people credit the story of these five missionaries with launching the evangelical missions movement of the late 20th century, the greatest missionary movement that the world has ever known. See, friends, you will never regret, you'll never regret living for Jesus Christ and giving your all for his kingdom. Though the world may call you a loser, there are no losers in Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater in the world than living to serve the king. Let me encourage you today. Friends, determine to live your lives with eternity's values in view. Determine to live your lives with eternity's values in view because the kingdom is of ultimate worth. Lastly today, truth number four that we find in the parables of Matthew 13 is this. The kingdom is open to all, but not forever. It's open to all, but not forever. In verses 47 through 50, Jesus tells the parable of the fishing net as the climactic ending to his parables of the kingdom. The net Jesus refers to here is similar to a net that is still used around the world today by commercial fishermen. It's called a seine. It was basically a wall of netting that ran up to about a 1,000 feet long and about 25 feet deep, and it was held down at the bottom by weights. And the fishermen would lower this net down in between two boats and then make their way to the shore, rounding up the fish in the nets where they would then gather them and collect them. Now, some of you guys here this morning in our church fishing league, and I don't want you to get any big ideas, all right? Uh, I talked to our friend Jerry Spetsman over here, and he said that the conservation officers around here don't look too fondly on this idea. So uh, don't get any big ideas. But in all seriousness, the point that Jesus wants us to understand through this parable is this. The net of the gospel has been cast into the whole world. And the gift of God's grace does not discriminate against anyone. The message of the gospel is for all people. As we saw earlier in 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says that God wants none to perish, 
but all to come to repentance. And John 3.16 says that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. God has cast the net out of the Gospel out for the whole world to receive in the hopes that all of us might ultimately turn to Him and respond to His gift of love, His gift of grace. However, while the parable of the net illustrates the indiscriminating grace of God, ultimately, this parable is a warning to those who have not embraced the Gospel that judgment is coming. God, in His grace, gives each person time to respond to Him. But friends, for all of us, time will eventually run out. As Hebrews 9.27 says, all of us will one day face God's judgment. Judgment day is coming. And friends, you need to understand this very clearly. While God loves you, and while He desires a relationship with you, because of His holiness, He cannot tolerate sin and evil in His presence. And the Bible says that anyone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will ultimately be cast out of God's presence to spend eternity in hell. Now some people today try and dismiss the literal reality of hell. But friends, I want you to know something. Jesus spoke about hell three times more often than he spoke about heaven. You think Jesus cared that we understood the nature and reality of hell? I think he really cared. Because I think he really wants none of us to go there. People sometimes ask me, Jason, how bad is hell? Friends, hell is so bad that it costs the Son of God His very life to keep you from going there. It costs the Son of God His very life to keep you from going there. Please understand this, friends. The kingdom is open to all, but not forever. Judgment Day is coming. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Are you ready to stand before the Lord? When he asks you on that day of judgment, why should I let you into my kingdom? What will you say to him? You know there's only one correct answer? Friends, my prayer for you today is that when you stand before the Lord on that day of judgment, you'll be able to answer him with confidence. Because I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. My friend Chaz is going to play a song for us this morning. As she plays the song, I want you to reflect on the message of its words. And when she's done, I'm going to come back up and close us in a word of prayer. Get ready, there's a train coming. You don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel coming. You don't need no ticket, you just thank the Lord. 
people get ready There's a train to Jordan Picking our passengers 